The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow you. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself. If you dare, come inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more. Your search is through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. demented denizens of the Horror Hill are indeed no strangers to the scent of dead things. For tonight's charnel yarn, we have prepared a feast for the senses, far too grand to be finished in a single course. So be sure to cleanse your palate before we begin. From author Brian Martinez, I give you... The Body Farm. I feel the need to explain myself. I'm not a guy who gets scared easily, but I'm also not the kind who keeps his head in the sand, if you know what I mean. When something doesn't feel right, it just doesn't feel right. And that's the end of it. I acknowledge that most of the bad things that happen in life can be blamed on other people and the world around us, but I also believe that there are things that fall outside of those two categories, at least until we prove otherwise. Like what happened at the body farm. I've always wanted to be a writer ever since I was a kid, so forgive me if I get too flowery sometimes, it is the habit of writers after all. As I'm sure you know, though, writing doesn't pay the bills. And despite my dream of earning a living by writing, I've always needed a day job to get me by. Through the father of a friend, I ended up getting trained and certified as an unarmed security guard straight out of high school, which I did through most of college. It was easy, and the money was good, enough, 
for a while. But eventually I looked for something with a future in it. So long as my writing wasn't taking off, I figured I might as well build a career. After a long search, I got a job at one of the major banks. Which one, I think I'd rather not say. Six years I spent working my ass off, climbing my way up the ranks. And that was until about five weeks ago when they decided that they had too many branches open on the East Coast, as well as too many employees working those branches. So I got the boot. No severance, no fanfare, and no apologies. I was out on the street, and as soon as I found out, no one was hiring. When things started to get desperate, I paid a visit to this employment agency of the block from my house. I've never really liked the guy who runs it, but as I said, times are desperate. So I walked in and I signed up. They didn't seem too hopeful when I asked about the other bank jobs available, but when they saw the security guard experience on my resume, they perked right up. As it turned out, they had an overnight temp guard position that they were having trouble filling. Needless to say, I was hesitant to take what I believed was a step backward. Not to down-talk or discredit guard work in any way. It just doesn't fit the direction I'm trying to go in at the moment. You'd think being an overnight guard would afford me plenty of time to write, but the truth is I've always had a hard time writing while completely alone. For some reason, it just makes me uneasy. I end up getting nothing done. The point is, I didn't want to take the gig, but I guess a man's got to eat. My choice was helped by the rate they were paying, which was at the higher end of what guards usually make. Against my better judgment, I accepted. They made a few phone calls and wrote down an address and sent me on my way. It's on the water. That was the only detail that they gave me. My old uniform was a bit snug, but still fit. I actually found that fact a little disappointing, to be completely honest. Around five o'clock, I arrived at the address they had written on the card, which it turned out was a boat launch to get over to an island, on which was the actual gig. I'll call it Twain Island, since I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to be talking about it in the first place, even though its actual name is one I'd never heard despite growing up close by. After a confusing exchange with the older guy who ran the dock, he told me something which very nearly made me turn around to get back in my car. I need to see your phone, he said. I was confused, but I took it out of my pocket and showed him. Then he said, If that's a camera, I need to take it. I made a joke, something like, What's on that island, the Queen of England? Or something pretty stupid, actually, but regardless, he wasn't amused. I argued with him for a minute, but in the end, I handed it over. Like I said, a man's gotta eat. A few minutes later, an even older guy came, got me, and took me onto the boat. Since it was only the two of us, and since I had no idea what I had gotten myself into, 
I tried to make some small talk. The guy wasn't really very talkative, but as we approached the island, he made the second sketchy comment of the day. This one in the form of a question. Have you ever been to one of these farms? I told him I'd been to plenty of farms, to which he said, Not like this one you haven't. I had no idea what he was talking about, but by then we were already pulling up to the dock that stuck out from the rocky shore. We docked. Before I could ask where I was supposed to go, he was already pulling away. It seemed he didn't want to stick around very long. There was a building up the ways a bit, which looked like an old rec center or something. Given that I had nowhere else to go, I headed for the building. Halfway across the lawn was a sign which read, Twain Island Forensic Anthropology Facility. They were words I was familiar with separately, but together they lost their meaning. As I contemplated exactly what they meant, a young guy wearing a guard's uniform came around the side of the building and waved me down. I heard the boat, he said. He introduced himself as Eric, and he handed me a walkie-talkie. He explained that, other than a few computers with an internet connection, all communication on the island was done by old-school means. In case of emergency, they even had a two-way radio set up. I asked him why I wasn't allowed to bring my cell phone, and he said it was so no pictures ended up on the internet which is something similar to what I'd heard from my friend who did guard work at a high-end jewelry manufacturer, so I guess it made sense. It still didn't tell me what the hell was going on out on this island. I point-blank asked him. All he said was, Come on, I'll show you. We walked not into, but around the decent-sized building, past a second, smaller building, and into the woods beyond. Eric said something about the island being the alleged site of a buried pirate treasure, but to be honest, I wasn't paying much attention at that point. There was a very strong smell in the air. Pungent, sweet, though downright awful, which I found impossible to ignore. Eric noticed my face and said, Have you ever smelled a dead body before? I shook my head no. He said, You'll never forget it now. At that point, we came into a clearing in the woods with a foul odor really ramped up. I've always had a strong stomach, but even this was... excessive. I felt a ball form at the back of my throat. There were two people. One male, one female. Both roughly college-aged and wearing similar gray coats, standing over what looked like long, low cages made of chicken wire. As we walked closer, I could see dark forms in the cages like piles of trash. The girl looked over at us and nodded politely, but the guy didn't bother. She was pretty, and he looked like a bug. It wasn't until we were right on top of the cages that I realized what they held. The first body I saw, in fact, have ever seen was a woman's. Her skin was impossibly waxy, with large patches of discoloration. 
like the wax had been burned. She looked like something had sprinkled rice across her, like a new bride. Unfortunately, it wasn't rice. The maggots crawled on her legs and pooled in the crevices of her neck. Her surprisingly white teeth grinned up at me, exposed, and her belly was inflated like a birthday balloon. My mouth watered from the rising feel of vomit, but I managed to keep it in check. It helped to not look at her creeping skin. He introduced the two as Bernard and Terry, interns from the name-removed institute, and said there were two more wandering around somewhere, as well as the man in charge, a scientist by the name of Dr. Christensen. Terry could see I was bothered, so she was nice enough to finally explain what was going on. We said a human decomposition, she said. The goal was to better understand the process in order to help, among other things, police to determine more accurate times of death in a variety of settings. I looked at five of the six other cages, which she explained were to keep birds away, and asked how many there were on the island. It varies, she said, but it usually hovers around fifty. Fifty dead bodies... One island, and no boats. They said some see-you-laters, and then Eric led me around the rest of the island, first to point out some of the other body sites, more corpses, some caged, some not, and then to perform a perimeter around the shore. He said I'd have to do at least two such rounds during my shift, which I was already thinking about skipping. It took about 45 minutes for us to circle back around to the dock, which I noticed was the only way onto or off of the island, short of risking the waves crashing onto the sharp rocks and the ring of slimy garbage. By then, the sun was starting to set. He took me inside the main research building, which I'd guessed had been converted from a sports center dating back some 50 years. We took a quick look around at the operation and I saw the back of someone's head inside one of the rooms. But other than that, not much registered. I think by that time my head was spinning too fast for any more information to get in. We left the main building and went to the second building, which served as the guard's office. Eric pointed out the bathroom, the lockers, the eating area with stocked fridge, the flashlights... The desk with the two-way radio, which he showed me how to use, though by then he was eyeing his watch. He gave me a grin and asked if I was all set. I shrugged. was the most sincere answer I could give. I'll be honest, he told me. Most guys don't last here very long. Especially the night shifters. Oh. Thanks. If you take out the mental part, it's the easiest job in the world. But the mental part... His voice trailed off, and I knew exactly what he meant. What could be easier than making sure a bunch of stiffs stayed dead? And yet... With the sun going down... 
I was filled completely with dread. The kind where you want to run and scream in no particular direction. Before I could articulate the thought, the sound of a docking boat rose up, and with a nod and a few more last-minute instructions about filling out the logbook, he was gone. Next boat's at 3 a.m., he shouted from across the lawn, which seemed like a pretty important detail to be leaving for the last second. Ahead of him were two interns I'd met, Bernard and Terry, along with two others. Terry waved and I waved back, pretending to be unfazed. On the boat already, aside from the old man operating it, was a man whose face I couldn't make out from a distance other than a beard. I assumed it was Dr. Christensen, though I had no way of knowing for sure. After the boat chugged away and made a line for land, I looked around at the dimming island, inhabited by me and fifty rotting corpses, give or take a few. With the wind kicking up off the ocean, and wondered how I'd ended up that way. Only about a month earlier, I'd been sitting comfortably behind a desk in a warm bank. It was pretty amazing how quickly life could shift beneath your feet. I retreated back inside the guard's office and immediately decided to stay in it until the boat came to get me at three. I locked the door. Screw the promises, screw the temp agency, screw the Twain Island Forensic Anthropology Facility. I wasn't about to go stumbling around at the dark on an island full of dead people, caged or otherwise. There was no way anyone would know one way or the other whether I'd done my rounds or not, and I had a hard time believing that anyone would want to get onto the island, let alone be able to pull up to a dock and get past me without being heard. To pass the time, I had the internet thankfully, and that got me past the first few mindless hours. Before I knew it, the clock over the door read twenty past nine o'clock. Outside it was pitch black, while inside it was way too quiet. So I pulled up some music videos and let them play in the background. A huge playlist of classic rock songs as I opened a text file and thought of some story ideas I'd like to explore. Not surprisingly, most of them had to do with zombies coming to life and attacking the living. Nothing really stuck, though, and I began to have the familiar, uneasy feeling that comes whenever I try to write alone. After a few minutes, I stopped trying to fight it. I closed the file, and then my eyes. I'm not sure how long I was asleep. What I do know is what woke me up. With my eyes still closed, I started to become aware of a sound under the music, the playlist still coming out of the computer's speaker, which was faint, but getting louder. It was far off in the island, but I could make it out as clear as anything. And I know it sounds crazy. I really know it does. But it was a woman crying. When I realized this, my eyes shot open. I jumped out of the chair and grabbed my walkie-talkie and flashlight and ran out of the office, turning on the flashlight as I came around the building. I stopped for a second and shone the light into the forest, catching nothing but the trunks and leaves. 
For a split second, I wondered if I'd actually heard the cries or if I'd been half in a dream, the way light sleep messes with you. But then I heard a shout, definitely a woman's pitch, and I bolted into the woods. All I could think was some idiot had found their way onto the island, maybe even a group of idiots, thrill-seeking kids, and hurt themselves on my watch. I would have to carefully forge the logbook to cover my ass on this one. That already familiar stench came to my nose as I came into the first clearing. My flashlight picked up the metal of the cages. I stopped running. I remembered myself, where I was, and why I'd locked myself in the office. Those cages just sitting out there in the dark, corpses staring up, maggots and flies. The cries had stopped, which had me thinking either I was being pranked or much worse. I was too late to help whoever it had been. So I did what I swore I wouldn't, which was the job that they'd hired me to do. With a major amount of hesitation, I did my rounds. Either I would find the woman, I figured, or I could honestly tell the doctor that I'd secured the island when they found a body in the morning. Another body, that is. A new one. As I walked the edge of the island, I formed a joke in my head about how they could leave the dead woman where they found her and just add her to the guest list. The joke always ended with me saying, You're welcome. Huh. I'll be honest, I didn't do a full perimeter, but I did do most of one. Other than half of a hollowed-out horseshoe crab, I didn't find anything, so I cut back toward the first clearing where I'd sworn the woman's cries had come from. I walked slowly in case I came across any more body sights, especially the uncaged kind which I didn't want to stumble over in the dark despite the little yellow flags that marked them. The smell would probably warn me first, except for the really long, gone ones. The piles of bones, which still stunk but not nearly as much. Needless to say, I was relieved when I reached the clearing. The beam of my flashlight caught the tops of the cages as I walked between them using them as a guide back to the office without really focusing on them. For some reason, I still don't understand. Maybe because my eyes picked up something different in the darkness, or maybe I just felt a change in the air. I shone the light into the last cage. The first I'd seen a few hours earlier, where the bloated woman had grinned up at me. My feet stopped right along with my heart. What my flashlight saw, what I saw, changed me forever. And I know it sounds crazy. I really know it does. But the cage was empty. I got in closer to get a better look because there was there was no way what I was seeing could be real but I was horrified to find that it was 
The body was gone. The only thing left of it was a long patch of dead grass, a, a puddle of half-dried fluids, and strips of what looked like leather, but I knew it wasn't leather. The cage around it was left exactly where I'd seen it, only the body had disappeared. As I stared down at the empty cage, my walkie-talkie crackled in my pocket. It made me jump a bit, a sudden noise in the night, and I fished it out of my pocket where I'd forgotten I put it during the perimeter sweep. But if the first sound made me jump, the second made my skin crawl worse than even one of the corpses behind me. A woman was whispering on the other end. I turned the volume up and pressed the speaker to my ear to hear better. The words were too low to make out only that distinctly female tone the same as the one who had called out from somewhere in the woods nervously I brought the walkie talkie to my mouth and pressed the button on the side um hello who's there I tried to sound like I was in charge but it wasn't very convincing I let go of the button and brought the speaker back to my ear, straining to hear the whispers. A laugh. A woman's laugh, high-pitched and delirious, came through the speaker. Instinct took over and I ran. I ran away from the cages and out of the clearing, into the woods and out of them again until I was running between the two buildings and back into the office. I slammed the door shut and locked it. My pulse throbbed in my neck. I tried to catch myself with my hands on the desk, taking great big breaths of air in. Breaths of air. Stale air. Not just stale, but wretched. Sickly, sweet, pungent. The smell of those bodies had somehow moved into the guard's office, even though none of the sights were anywhere near it. Even with a strong wind to push the air around the island. It was then... As I pushed myself up off the desk that I thought again of the missing body. The woman's body. The woman's voice on the radio. The whispers and the laugh. It was then that I realized not just the air had gotten into the building. I looked at my hand. A smudge of something black was on my palm. There was a matching smudge on the table. They asked me to go back. It was three days ago. I was picked up, tired and hungry on that dock. The captain had found me with a dying flashlight in one hand and a turned-off radio in the other. This time, I was the one who didn't say much. I just got out of the boat and drove home in a daze and fell asleep in my bed. I spent a lot of the time since thinking about what I'd experienced on Twain Island. The rest of it, applying to jobs who didn't call back. I went back and read what I wrote. It sounds almost ridiculous now, like the ravings of a wild man. Especially happening so soon after I woke up. 
The more I thought about it, the less real it seemed. As I was applying for other guard jobs, the guy who runs the temp agency called me to tell me the forensic anthropology facility had contacted them to ask about hiring me again. With no hesitation, I told him I had no interest of going back to that island. While I was at it, I thanked him for not warning me about the nature of their research. He swore to me he didn't know. I didn't believe him. He told me before I had made up my mind and they were willing to raise their rate by almost 30%. I think they're tired of giving the free tour, if you know what I mean, he said. It's hard to argue with that kind of money when you're unemployed. There was still the whole matter of the disappearing body and the creepy laughter and the traces of death in the guard's office, which were three pretty excellent reasons to never go back to Twain Island. I couldn't exactly ask him about all that without sounding insane, so I asked him for the next best thing. Did they have any complaints about the last time? I asked. The way I figured if a body got up and walked away on my watch, they might think I had something to do with it. If they had any complaints, he said, I doubt we'd be talking right now. He was right, of course. The whole thing was feeling more and more like something I dreamed of. About an hour earlier, I checked my bank account, which was getting grim indeed. And now here I was, saying no to a cushy paycheck. I thought of Eric's advice, how it was the easiest job in the world, so long as you could manage the mental bit. Then I thought of my dad, who worked in high-rise construction for 30 years, and once drove himself back to a job site after having his thumb sewn back on, just so he could finish out the day. God help me. I went. A thought occurred to me as the boat captain drove me over to the island. What if the body actually had gone missing, and they were luring me back to question me about it, or, or even to catch me in the act of doing it again? What if they'd gone to the cops, but didn't have enough evidence to accuse me? Oh, my stomach sank. I looked over at the old guy at the wheel. He looked back at me with a funny look in his eye. Maybe it was something. Maybe it was nothing. Either way, it was too late to turn around now. When I got to the island, it was still bright out, which helped get me off the dock and onto the land, and I was interested to notice that no one had come to greet me when I arrived. I took it as a good sign and went to track down Eric. It didn't take long. He was at the computer at the guard's office. I didn't think I'd see you around here again. <laughs> He said with a laugh. Apparently, the boat captain had told everyone how ready I was to leave when he pulled up the other day. But to be fair, no one had really prepared me for the kind of shit I'd shown up for. Eric found it hilarious, but I could tell he understood where I was coming from. 
While we were on the subject, I asked him if he'd ever heard anything weird on the island, especially on the night shift. He asked me what kind of weird. I... I don't know. Stuff moving. Voices. He got a soda from the fridge. Uh-oh. Don't tell me you're the superstitious type. That doesn't really fly here. As he chugged the soda down, I assured him I was a rational person, but he seemed skeptical. According to him, despite Twain Island being an island, there were still plenty of animals that lived there. Some swam over, others came over on boats or floating garbage. We've asked Dr. Christensen about animal control, but he says it would ruin the balance of nature, which is important for their data, or whatever. I think he just doesn't want to pay for it out of his grant money. It wasn't the first time I got the vibe no one liked the doctor. After I finished catching up with Eric, he threw away his empty can and announced he was going to complete his final rounds before it was time to go home. I think he expected me to hang out in the office, like he would if he could, so it surprised him when I headed out in the opposite direction. I wanted to reacquaint myself with the island and the interns. Based on the look he gave me, he definitely thought I was a crazy person. The real reason for my walk was even crazier than he suspected. No one was working in the main clearing, so I used the privacy to check the cage where the body had disappeared, or where I convinced myself it had. At this point, I'm not sure I really knew what to think anymore. It had been an uneventful return so far, and I doubted I would get such a mild reception if they suspected me of something as gross as grave robbing. So... As you can imagine, I was especially confused when I found the woman inside the cage. There, as though she had never left. She was less an inflated bag of maggots by now. More skin and bones than the last time I'd seen her. Though her rotting body was oddly comforting. When I turned away from her... Bernard, the intern, was standing at the other side of the clearing with a clipboard in one hand and a ruler in the other, checking on one of the other bodies. I don't know how long he'd been there, but when I turned to leave, he threw me a look too nasty to ignore. Instead of heading back to the office as planned, I went his way and struck up a conversation. Something pointless and banal about the weather, which he stayed quiet through. When I was done with my bit, he not so subtly changed the subject. He asked me what my interest was in the female specimen, and the way he asked it, I understood what he was implying. Which, by the way, is disgusting. I didn't know how to answer him without sounding insane, so I told him I'd heard some sounds out this way the last time, but when I came to inspect the site, there was nobody there. What he said next made my legs go cold. Did you move her? It took me a second. I said no, no, I definitely didn't, and would have no reason to, and I asked him why he would ask something like that. He didn't want to say it first, but after I asked a few times, he told me the photos hadn't matched up from one day to the next. 
specifically with the position of the body. I asked him if it was possibly animals. The ones Eric told me lived on the island, the garbage riders. When I was a child who'd asked a stupid question in class, he tapped the cage next to him with his foot and looked at me as to say, that's what these are for. All right, well, what about gases? I asked. All those things that happen when we decompose, couldn't that move a body? With no lack of attitude, he assured me he knew which movements were natural and which ones were not. She was definitely moved. If it was you, you're better off coming clean. I could see he wasn't going to bend on this, so I told him it wasn't me, and if he didn't believe me, it wasn't my problem, and I went back to the guard's office. But... I'd be a liar if I said our conversation didn't weigh on me for a long time after that. By the time Eric got back from his final rounds, I was in a dark place. My thoughts were spiraling down, and I was angry at myself for coming back to the island. I was giving strong thought to quitting and hitching a ride back on the late boat. Eric could probably tell, since he was acting especially light and jokey trying to improve the mood in the guard's office. I suspected it was less for me and more for himself, which he proved when he casually dropped that he had some big plans for the night, which would have been ruined if I hadn't shown up. At that point, Terry popped her head in for a few minutes to say hi and ask Eric a question about the alarm system in the main research building. Before she left me, she told me it was good to see me again. After she was gone, Eric chuckled and said how obvious it was that Terry was into me. I told him that was bullshit. <laughs> Why do you think they asked you back? He asked. I just assumed you were tired of giving the free tour, I quoted. There's other guys they could have asked and she brought your name up like five times in the past three days. She said you have kind eyes. <laughs> Who else were they going to bring back? I didn't put much faith in what Eric said, but it beat thinking about other things. It didn't hurt that Terry was pretty cute, in a weird, works-with-the-dead way. The thought of asking her out distracted me for a while, though. Soon enough, I was alone. The boat came and left, and like an idiot, I did not get on it. I spent the first hour like the first night on the internet, visiting the usual time wasters, but after a while I started to think about what Bernard had said. To be honest, it pissed me off. This guy, this bug-looking prick doesn't even know me he wasn't even there that night yet he thinks he can just throw around disgusting accusations pretty soon I wasn't paying attention to the screen I was thinking about cornering Bernard in one of the more private areas of the woods and giving him something real to accuse me of I'm not an outwardly violent guy but that doesn't mean I'm incapable of it something by the door caught my attention movement. I turned in time to catch a spot of darkness moving past the window. 
for a second time that day. My legs went cold. The shadow was in the vague shape of a person. I'd like to say that I jumped out of my chair and flung the door open and jumped on the intruder like a damn security guard should, but... The truth of the matter is I stayed as still as I could. I listened to the grass rustle. I didn't move a muscle until the sound was gone. A minute later, I stood at the open door, shining my flashlight into the dark. Even though I didn't want to, even though I hated to admit it, I found myself surrounded by the very familiar and very strong smell of rotting corpse. My first instinct, and it would be yours too, was to step back inside and lock the door, radio the police, and shut myself in a broom closet until help arrived. But I also knew that dead bodies don't get up and walk around, that those things don't happen except in movies. I pictured my dad and what he would do in this situation if he was still alive. He would find whoever was screwing with him and jam his reattached thumb into their eye. My attached one would have to do. Due to an overcast night, the woods were already black. The way the flashlight's beam pierced the night reminded me of footage of deep-sea divers. I moved quietly between the trees and toward the main clearing and strained to hear even the slightest sound of footsteps or movement in the woods ahead of or around me. But other than the wind and the ocean, I couldn't hear a thing. What made me happiest, though, was finding the woman's body in its cage, right where it belonged. Even now, that sounds like an unbelievable thing to find relief in, and after a quick check, I discovered all of her roommates were in their respective cages as well. At least in this site. Taking courage from that, I decided to finally do some proper rounding. There was a mystery on that island. Something the employees weren't telling me. It was time I figured it out. I moved into the woods at a sharp angle aiming to reach the shore at a particular spot I'd seen with Eric the other day. A point at the island's highest where he said you could see a small cave opening at low tide. The point itself didn't matter so long as I had a target, though something about the overcast night got me confused. Not being able to use the moon or stars as reference, and after a couple of minutes I found myself turned around. As it turns out, the island is larger than I thought at first, and it's very possible to get lost on it. I tried to correct my path using the sound of the ocean, just keep heading towards the waves, but... But after a minute, I came into a clearing and was surprised to find it was the one I had left a few minutes earlier. If I were a smarter man, I would have said screw it and return to the office, but... My decision to find answers had made me too stubborn to take the easy way out. Instead, I turned around and headed once again for the same spot on the shore. This time, I made an even sharper angle. 
There was no way I was going to end up back in that clearing. The good news is I didn't. The bad news is I became completely disoriented by the night and the tree after tree after identical tree, and it wasn't long before I couldn't tell which way the ocean was, the sound of the waves coming from all directions. Twice I came across body cages, but I didn't stop long enough to get a look at them. Lord knows it was bad enough putting my back to them in the darkness. Thinking about their dead eyes on me put some speed in my step. If you've ever been lost, you know the feeling of frustration and hopelessness it brings. How you kick yourself for being so goddamn stupid. You blame yourself for every mistake you've ever made. Whether or not you believe in God, you start making pacts and promises. If you just get me out of this, I promise I'll change my ways. Even though you fully intend to forget everything you said the moment you're found again. Bottle up that feeling and let it loose on an island of cadavers. And you'll start to understand what went through my head in those woods. When I got really desperate, I started to notice the smell of rotting meat. With the breeze blowing so erratically through the trees, I couldn't get a bearing on which direction the stink came from. Whether it was following me or I was following it wasn't clear. Only one thing really was. It was getting a lot stronger. I didn't know if I should walk slower to keep from stepping in something or run away from someone pursuing me. As much as I wanted to check the trees, my flashlight stayed trained on the ground and, oh, thank God it did. Out of nowhere I came across a body. A pair of purple feet sticking up from a patch of green ivy and wasn't even marked with a flag which I thought was extremely dangerous and if it had been the flag had fallen and disappeared under the thick vines the body was muscular definitely a man and as I got closer I saw it was missing its head and one of its arms flies buzzed on its freshly ruptured skin their whining voices got under my own skin, into my eardrums, and nausea bubbled up in my stomach, the taste of acid at the back of my throat. I threw up behind a tree, doubled over wiping my mouth clean. A stick snapped somewhere in the woods underweight, as if someone had stepped on it. I straightened up and aimed my flashlight toward the sound of approaching footsteps and I called out, Who's there? The beam of light found feet. Not the corpse's feet, but walking feet. Feet wearing shoes. Feet attached to legs and pants and... And a gray coat. You are contaminating my sight, the bearded man said. I didn't have to ask him for identification. It was Dr. Christensen. The other guards don't come this far inland... Well, <laughs> to be honest, I'm actually a little lost, I admitted to him. This isn't the place to do that, he said as he walked over. I agreed wholeheartedly. I told him I thought everyone had gone home by now. Well, I'm one of those fortunate few who does what he loves, 
he said. I tend to get lost in the work. I wasn't sure exactly how that statement made me feel about the doctor. On the one hand, I admired his work ethic for sure. On the other hand, a man who can get lost in this kind of work doesn't exactly make you feel comfortable being around him at night. You missed the boat, I told him. He shrugged it off. If I call for another, another comes, he explained. Did you happen to walk past the guard's office a little while ago? His face shifted. Are you keeping track of me? I shook my head no. You worry about people trying to get onto the island. I'll worry about what they do while they're here. I nodded. There wasn't any arguing with a prick like that. He pointed me in the right direction back to the buildings. I thanked him and went to leave, but at the last second I turned back. There was something that I needed to know. This, all this, this doesn't really bother you, I asked, but his expression told me everything. He was tired of this question, and not just tired of it, but above it. I find it fascinating, not that I need to. The data I gather here will give police the evidence they need to catch countless criminals. I guess I can't get over the fact that they used to be people. I mean, that guy right there, I pointed. Do you even know his name? The doctor no longer looked like he wanted to humor me. By any remote chance, do you know why I asked you back? He asked. I told him probably because everyone else said no. Because... I don't like to answer questions, and that's why I chose an island for my research in the first place. They say no man is an island, I offered, because I couldn't really think of what else to say. They are worried about being popular. Well, that certainly wasn't a problem he shared. I thanked him for helping me find my way, but... By that time, he wasn't paying attention to me anymore. He was studying the headless man, taking down some notes. So I left without another word and headed in the direction he said. It was surprisingly easy to find my way back after that. Within 20 minutes, I was standing in front of the open door of the guard's office. As I entered the building, I tried to remember for the life of me if I had left the door open. I tell you, even now, I could have sworn that I closed it. I took a quick piss in the cramped bathroom, washed my hands, and grabbed a soda from the fridge. Downing it in three long swigs, I threw the can in the garbage pail where it joined Eric's and a few others. It seemed they were more concerned with recycling people than they were aluminum. There was a big cork board hung up in the eating area with a bunch of random things tacked to it. Health notices, old flyers, a few articles cut out of medical magazines. But it was the photo that caught my attention. 
It was one of those unflattering pictures people love to take of each other at work. Messy hair and a few extra pounds only matter if it's a picture of you, right? It seemed like a recent photo, probably taken with one of the digital cameras they used to photograph the bodies and print it out in the office printer. That said, I still didn't recognize the guy in it. He was in fairly good shape, arms bulged against the short sleeves of his guard's uniform. On his right forearm, he had a tattoo of a green snake wrapped around a red apple. I thought back to the body in the middle of the woods, where Dr. Christensen and I had talked. No cage. No flag. Pretty muscular guy. Missing the head as well as one of the arms. One of the arms. Missing an arm. The right arm. Just to be safe, I locked the door. You'd think I was crazy if I said I went back to Twain Island for even one more night. It's okay to admit it. You'd be right. But I have to admit something, too. I suffer from a case of curiosity. I can't help but stick my nose in strange business. Maybe that's what appealed to me about guard work in the first place. The idea of seeking out trouble. It seems like all those hours behind a desk weren't able to wipe it out. It also helped that they asked me to cover a day shift this time. Eric called out sick, which seemed to me a way safer than another graveyard shift. Maybe it's childish to feel that way. Like I'm a little kid, scared of the dark, but at least in the daytime I can see what's coming at me. Not to mention I wouldn't be alone on the island during the day. I might even get some answers about what was going on out there if I spied around. Talk to the right people and ask the right questions. Just to be crystal clear, though, I did ask the employment agency if there were other gigs. Any other gigs. You can see where this is going. Maybe it was the warm sun and knowing I'd be off the island before it went away, or maybe it was the pocket knife in my back pocket. When I handed my cell phone over to the guy who ran the dock, I was feeling a bit bold. I asked him if there were any interesting local stories about Twain Island. At first, he shrugged it off and said, Well, every place has stories. But then, he said there was one thing. A story he'd heard more than once from more than one neighbor, which might be of interest. He said that strange lights had been seen on the island, either from the shore or by passing boats. To say the story was disappointing would be an understatement. I told him it was most likely just the flashlights of guards doing their rounds. He nodded and said, Yeah, you're probably right. As I was leaving, I heard him mumble. Pretty stupid to use red flashlights. Out on the dock, Terry Bernard and another assistant were by the boat waiting for me to arrive. The captain was on the boat reading a magazine. When he saw me, he put it down and started the engine. Terry smiled and said hello, as did the other assistant, a heavier guy named Miguel. 
As always, Bernard was a creep and said nothing. That was until we got out on open water and Terry started making some small talk. So, you uh, can't stay away, huh? She asked. What can I say? Apparently I need this money stuff. She laughed. I was feeling pretty good about myself until Bernard chimed in. That's not all you get out of it, he said. I could not stand this guy any longer. I leaned past Terry and asked him what his problem was. Night shifters, he said. Look around, I told him. I'm working a day shift. You're still a night shifter. He didn't even want to look me in the eye. I kind of wanted to punch him in his, but Terry got involved and asked what was bothering him. He started spouting some bullshit about fetishes and fascinations with death and all this stuff that he knew a little too much about. Miguel just shook his head and laughed at what Bernard was saying, but Terry, to her credit, did her best to defuse the little creep. By the time we docked, he was calmer, but still not looking my way. Which, honestly, was just fine by me. Before we walked off, he turned back to me and said, Do whatever you want to the bodies. Just stay away from me. Terry must have seen that I was about to pounce on him. She got in front of me and pulled me in the other direction, saying she needed some help carrying some heavy boxes. She was clearly appealing to my ego. I reluctantly decided to drop it. Little idiot wasn't about to ruin my chances with a cute girl. That would be letting him win. As we walked to the main research building, I realized Dr. Christensen hadn't come over with us. Terry explained that he usually comes over alone whenever he decides to start his day, and her saying that reminded me of the conversation I had with him the other night about missing the last boat. If I call for another, another comes, he'd said. Terry laughed and said it sounded like something an egomaniac like him would say. I was digging her more and more by the minute. We entered the research building and continued down the hall. I'm sorry about Bernard, she said. Forensics does attract the occasional weirdo. Is that what brought you into it? I joked. Well, actually, it was because my brother died. Oh, shit. I felt my face go red at my terrible joke. It's fine. She waved it off. We were really close. He donated his body to science and it ended up in a facility like this one. When I looked into forensic anthropology, I was hooked. I went right to the university and changed my major. I know it sounds funny, but I feel closer to him here. It did sound weird, but I'd heard of worse ways of coping with grief. When my dad died, I spent the first month so drunk I can barely remember it except for what people tell me. I haven't spent a night in jail for breaking a bartender's nose, though. That's a story for another time. Terry and I went through a door at the end of the hall where the sign simply read, Cleaning. The room was about the size of a small kitchen and had all kinds of tools and chemicals for cleaning skeletons once they had served their purpose on the farm. Terry showed me the whole operation, explaining that after being cleaned here, 
The bones went to another room for storage or shipping, depending on their final home. But you don't need to go in there, she said. It's just a bunch of bones. What was the name of the overnight guard who worked before me? I asked out of the blue. She seemed caught by surprise, but she thought for a second and said his name was Greg. Is he the guy with the tattoo? I pointed to my forearm. Well, yeah, how'd you know? She nodded, remembering the picture. It's too bad he left. I asked her why, and she said, Well, he was kind of cute. At that point, the door opened and Dr. Christensen appeared in the doorway. He seemed very annoyed by me being there. I think you'll find no one in here needs guarding, he said, then glanced at Terry. Terry apologized and explained that she needed my help moving some boxes. He mumbled something about female musculature and left. I meant to ask, I stopped him. Do you know who's relieving me? It was my understanding that you are. That meant a double shift. Nobody had said anything about that. Is that the problem? I guess I could use the money. As long as it suits your needs. After he left, I turned to Terry... I guess forensic attracts a few assholes, too. Her face stiffened. She said, He's my father. My jaw must have dropped to the floor. Then she said, I'm just kidding. We both laughed, a great feeling after all the stress and creepiness of the past week. I asked her where the boxes were that she needed help with. What boxes? She smiled at me on her way out. For the first time, I was happy I'd come back to the island. I grabbed a walkie from the office and did my rounds, the full perimeter around the island that took about an hour, give or take. Everything was fine, of course, and in the daylight it was almost an enjoyable time, like a normal, brisk walk on a rocky shore. At the high point of the island, I even tried to look down below for the cave opening, but the tide was far too high. I was starting to think Eric made that up anyway. Along the way, I only saw one body in a cage near the shore. Probably studying the effects of the ocean water or something similar. I stopped looking when I saw what was crawling out of its ear. When I got back to the guard's office, I stepped inside and looked around. Nothing out of place. Very quiet. Just when I was about to sit down, I glanced into the break area. The corkboard, the photo. Greg, smiling awkwardly into the camera. Greg, who might still be on this island, but not smiling. Not alive. I remembered why I was here. Why I was really here. And this time it wasn't for the paycheck. In case I don't come back, I wrote all of this down to let you know that I'm going out right now. I'm going to get some answers. My first stop, 
that storage room. Things are much worse out here than I thought. I barricaded myself into the guard's office using the desk and the break room table. I'm covered in things I can't even think about. And I don't know what to do. If I die out here, I guess it's my own damn fault. Damn it. Why did I come back? I have to stick to the story. People have to know what happened. I went to the storage room like I said I would. It had all these boxes. I was really careful to be as quiet as possible to make sure no one saw me go in. Not into the research building and definitely not into that storage room. But someone must have seen me. That or a silent alarm, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe that's it. I started going through the boxes, and at first it was what it was supposed to be. Cleaned up skeletons, separated, broken down to be shipped out. But I had to keep looking. Didn't I? In the back of the room, I found a few boxes sealed up with orange tape and labeled to be put in the incinerator. I cut them all open and put the knife back in my pocket before I started looking inside them. The first one had random clothing inside. It took me a second, but I realized it was the clothing the bodies had shown up in. They stripped most of them before they laid them out. The box was a little creepy, but nothing too suspicious. Not until I opened the second box. The first shirt I pulled out was a kind I knew too well. I knew it because I was wearing one just like it. It was a guard's uniform shirt. And it didn't stop at one. The whole box was filled with uniform shirts and pants. Black socks and shoes and belts, too. I counted four, five, six uniforms. And as I pulled out each one, my heart pounded louder. So loud... I didn't even hear someone enter the room behind me. They must have snuck up on me and hit me over the head because in an instant everything went black. I woke up with my back on cold rocks and the ocean screaming in my ears. The way my legs and arms felt, I must have been injected with something. It was more druggy and numb than concussion. And as my eyes tried to focus, I started to make out the shapes of toothy rocks overhead... My wrists were tied behind me, and I could barely feel them pinned under my back. The ceiling was all rock and barely ten feet above. There was almost no light, but the little bit of it seemed to come from the same direction as the sound of ocean waves. I turned my head and it felt like dragging a bag of rocks. I found myself looking into the terrified eyes of Eric. Eric... The guard who I was told called out sick was lying next to me in the darkness. His face was stained from crying and he was mumbling to himself, but I couldn't make out what it was. It sounded like that took him. That took him. My head was swimming so badly. I tried to ask him what was happening, but I could barely form the words. 
Finally, I managed to get them out, and he only repeated his mumbling louder and louder until he was screaming and crying the words at me. They took them. They took them. I was still disoriented, and I didn't understand what he was talking about, but I did my best to keep my eyes in focus and look down, where he was looking now, still screaming. And that's what I saw what he was talking about. His feet. His feet were gone. Cut off cleanly above the ankle with the stubs wrapped in bandages. It wasn't messy at all, but... Clean. Professional. And even as I looked down at the horrors flopping at the ends of Eric's legs, I knew my suspicions were true. No regular man had done this. A doctor had. A surgeon... An expert. Someone too familiar with how the human body was put together and more importantly, how it was taken apart. The shock of the sight cleared my head. I tried my best to calm Eric down using only my voice since the rest of me was bound, but it wasn't easy at all. He seemed to be hurting pretty bad. Eventually I got him to stop yelling long enough to ask him who did this and why. He was in a daze, retreating inside his own mind or about to pass out for the pain, but finally he said something. <sighs> trying. Trying to <clears throat> bring him back. Who? Who is he trying to bring back? I asked, but he was completely catatonic. He wasn't going to be any more help, and I knew I had to focus on getting out of there. Or I might just end up like him. Or worse. First, I have to save myself. Then, then I come back for him. But then I heard a voice. A woman's voice. And I made my heart jump with pure relief. Are you okay? Terry asked. She shone a flashlight on us, and I could see by its light she was upset. I was so happy to see her. I must have cursed ten different ways while laughing. I told her to untie me before that fucking psycho doctor came back to finish the job, but she went around to Eric first. She had a scalpel in her other hand, perfect for cutting rope, and I was glad to see that she was prepared. I told her if she untied me first, I could help her with Eric. But she looked up at me. And with this blank expression I can't explain, she just said, I'm sorry. Before I could make a sound, she stuck the blade in Eric's throat. Blood bubbled up and Eric gurgled wide-eyed, while all I could do was watch him struggle. It was too much. I turned my head and waited for the awful sounds to stop, and by the time I looked back, Eric was gone. My stomach clenched as I realized the one person I thought I could trust had just murdered a man in front of me. Thank you. Terry sat to Eric's corpse. Her voice sounded so genuine. Like she was talking to a friend. I screamed at her and asked her what she was thanking him for. For donating his body. She answered. As if it was obvious. Without donors like Eric, 
William can never come back. Who the... Who the fuck is William? But as I said it, I already knew the answer. I told you my brother went to the facility like this one. But that wasn't the whole truth. It wasn't just like this one. It was this one. William is here. He's here, and he needs me. Even in the dim light, I saw the look in her eyes, like every emotion was fighting inside of her. I can hear him calling out for help. I don't want to do these things, but he needs my help. Don't you see? Not just any parts will do. The doctor needs the bodies for his research. But they stopped funding him. Neither of us could let that happen. So I helped him. I put all those ads out. I called the agencies. I got him what we both needed. Her eyes were full of tears. I couldn't believe how completely she'd fooled me into thinking she was a nice, sweet girl. And now it was just so obvious that she had lost her mind. But believe it or not, she was still my best chance of getting out alive. The doctor doesn't care about your brother. He's just using you, I said. You think I don't know that? He has his reasons and I have mine. We both make sacrifices to save lives. That is quite correct, my dear, a man said behind her. Dr. Christensen stepped into the light wearing a rubber apron like a butcher at a meat processing plant. Sacrifices are always needed in the name of science. His mood was nonchalant, as if it was another day at the office. I told him he'd never get away with this, that someone would come looking into the disappearances, that they'd wonder what he was still doing out here after they cut his funding off. You are more right than you know. By next week, this facility will sadly be shut down. He was saying it as much to Terry as he was to me. Terry didn't take the news well at all. She got in his face, freaked out on him, shouted how William wouldn't be finished by next week. Which, honestly, I didn't know what it meant and I didn't want to know. But he calmly told her the situation was unavoidable. He reminded her that there was still time to finish what they'd started. When he said it, he looked directly at me. Terry turned her attention back to me, and she... I don't even want to say this, but... Oh, God, she smiled at me. Smiled like she was still flirting with me. Meanwhile, I was lying in Eric's spreading blood... You really do have kind eyes, she said. Just like William. She came back and bent over me with a scalpel squeezed between her fingers. What she didn't know was I had a blade of my own. The knife, which I'd managed to get out of my back pocket and was using to work on the rope around my wrists. I cut myself a few times with it, but nothing serious. I tried not to show it on my face as she came in closer. She smiled, sadly, 
as she brought the scalpel to my face. He'll be so happy to have his eyes back. But suddenly the doctor was over her, and before either of us could react, he stuck a hypodermic needle full of something pinkish into her neck and squeezed. She fell off me and immediately began to shake and spasm on the floor. The pain sounds that came out of her mouth were sickening. The doctor said, Relax, my dear. Thousands of people are embalmed every day. I realized what he meant. The needle. It was filled with embalming fluid and God knows what else. I can't imagine what it must do to a living person based on Terry's reaction. The foam in her mouth. The sound of her swallowing her tongue. It didn't look good. The bastard was cleaning up his mess, and I refused to be a part of it. Refused to be another body for his body farm. That's why, as he was distracted watching Terry writhe on the floor with his back to me, I finished cutting the rope around my wrist and did the same for the one around my ankles. With everything still left in me, I jumped on the unsuspecting prick and drove the small knife into his back. He cried out and collapsed under me, and we both fell to the rocky floor. I pulled the knife out of him and prepared to stab him again, but a bright flash blinded me, and a loud boom echoed so loudly in the thin space that I went deaf and felt my knees buckle and the knife fall out of my hand. It was a gunshot. A wild shot in the dark from a gun I hadn't seen in his hands. He had been about to finish off Terry when I jumped on him. Completely disoriented, I stumbled away from the doctor and into the dark. Soon, I was stepping into the freezing cold water. Ocean water. And I fell into it and pulled myself through the dark toward the faint moonlight. And I didn't stop pulling until I emerged from the rocks and into the night. How long had I been out? There was no time to think about it. I pulled myself up the rocky, wavy shore and up and on to the island where I found myself standing above the mouth of the cave. It seemed Eric hadn't been lying about it after all. Eric. That poor bastard. Not about to wait for the doctor to follow me out, and knowing that there was another way out of the cave, considering both Terry and the doctor's clothes had been dry, I did the smartest thing I've done all day. I ran. I wish I could say I jumped into the water and swam, and swam until I reached the shore, but the ocean was just too choppy, and I've heard too many stories growing up around here of people drowning in the ocean at night. The undertows have claimed too many lives for me to make a move like that. I followed the shoreline at first to make sure I didn't get lost in the trees. But very soon I heard the doctor's voice calling out and his footsteps pounding the ground somewhere far behind me. Something bad was still in my blood, making my head groggy and my legs feel soft and distant. And where normally I could easily outrun him, I could hear him start to gain on me. With no choices left, I turned and ran into the woods. My coordination was all wrong, and more than once I tripped on roots and slammed into trees, but I kept running. 
Even as his voice got closer and his footsteps louder, I kept running. Soon, my nose filled up with the dead smell and I came across a caged body between two trees. The man had been obese in life, and in death he was a crawling mound of putrid fat lying on its side. At that moment, the doctor called out to me again, and his voice was so close now, and I knew he had that gun and those needles and who knows what else, and so I did the only thing I could think of, which was also the worst thing that I could think of. I lifted the cage, and I crawled in. I was immediately hit with a powerful smell of the rotting man. There was no time to think. I let the cage back down and wedged myself in next to the cold corpse. I grabbed him by the arm and pulled him over me like an oozing, putrid blanket. As much as I could, I shut my nose and mouth tight, but there was only so much I could do. Its fluids leaked down onto me, and maggots tumbled down into my hair, onto my clothes, down the collar of my shirt. Footsteps. The doctor was walking past me. Past us. I held my breath for what felt like years as he continued on past into the woods, even as something with... A thousand tiny legs crawled over my neck and behind my ear. When I was sure the doctor was gone, I carefully, slowly pushed the huge corpse off me and got out of the cage. I shook the maggots off, took three steps, and promptly threw up until there was nothing left to throw up. I ran in a different direction than I'd heard the doctor go, and by some miracle, I found my way to the docks where I had prayed to find a boat of some kind. Something either of them had used to get to the island, but my prayers weren't answered. There was no time to cry about it, though, because I had one goal and one goal only. To get to that radio and call for help. Call for police. Call the army. Call anyone to come out here and get me. I wasn't screwing around anymore. I barricaded myself into the office by locking the door, then flipping over the desk and shoving it against the door. Then I took the table from the break area, flipped it long side up, and pushed it against the window. When I went into the room where the radio was kept, something like hope died in me. The radio was destroyed. I came back out and went to the computer and started writing this because I don't know how else to tell people what happened out here. When the doctor gets here, I'll give him hell, and I intend to beat the med school brains out of him, but in case he gets the better of me, I need the world to know what went down on this island. And I just... My God. The most terrifying thing. I just looked up to see the doctor staring at me through the door's window. I ran into the other room to find something to hit him with in case he gets in, but then there was this, this horrible sound. I can barely describe it. It was like wet shrieking. And then these red lights started coming out through the windows. The doctor was screaming. 
brutal, terrified screams like something was attacking him. He fired his gun two, three times, and then... And then it sounded like whatever it was got to him because he screamed. And then his voice cut out. It's... It's beating on the door now. The red light. It won't stop. What is it? What is it? Listen. I'm writing this because I have no phone and no one to email. My father is dead and my mother might as well be. I have no friends. I have no one to help me. Do not come out here. I'll update tomorrow. I'll be okay. I'll think of something. My God, just do not come out here. Before I sign off, I have something to confess. I was... I don't know how to start this except to say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I have almost no memory of the things I wrote. Or even of writing them at all. Three days ago, I woke up in the hospital, looking like I'd just taken a brisk jog through one of the circles of hell. I had no idea how I'd gotten here or what happened to me, but from the looks of it, it seemed like I'd been attacked by an animal of some kind. There were cuts and bruises all over my body, and a pretty bad hematoma had colored my right eye red. I knew who I was and all that, but... My last solid memory was of job searching after leaving my old job. After that, things get a little hazy. It's a bit like trying to remember what your third grade teacher looked like. The nurses have been nice to me, and extremely patient with what I can only describe as my overall confusion with life. But whenever I ask them what happened, they never have any real answers. The only information I got out of them was that I'd been found wandering near the shore, bloody and disoriented. And when someone tried to approach me to ask if I needed help, I nearly clawed the poor guy's eyes out. From there... Well, your guess is as good as mine. I'm pretty sure it involved some cops and a handcuffed ambulance ride. Apparently, they tested me for drugs and found a bouquet of narcotics in my system... A bouquet. Their words, not mine. Two days ago, one of my neighbors was nice enough to pick up a few things from my apartment, one of which was my laptop. As far as my phone goes, who knows what happened to that thing? It's at the bottom of the ocean as far as I know. Having my laptop is nice, though. I use it to kill time while I wait to get out of the hospital and also to send my mother an email telling her I was okay. She didn't respond, of course, but at least I did my part. My conscience is clean. You can imagine my surprise when I opened the page titled The Body Farm and found all these things I'd written just days ago about an island full of corpses. I've never experienced anything like this, but my head was 
instantly flooded with pictures. Small moments, fragments of faces, alive and dead. Snippets of conversations like little sound bites on the news. Each piece was cut too short to make any sense. It felt, honestly, like a dream. Something I'd made up to entertain myself. Except that some of the pictures felt too real. Too grounded to be a dream. I read every word of it. If I blinked more than twice in that time, I'd be impressed. It's a strange feeling having that kind of distance from something that happened to you. I felt like one of those people who yells at horror movies, except the actor on screen looked exactly like me. I wondered why on earth I would go back to that island, not just once, but twice, and how I could be so naive about the doctor. I formed opinions and took guesses as to what the truth was. I'm pretty sure all that missing body and handprint stuff was Terry running around the island being generally insane and became frustrated with how it ended. That confession bit. I really wish I knew what I was about to say there. Just ten seconds more and the truth would have come out. Well, maybe it's better I don't know. Now that I survived and all, but as they say, truth always comes out in the end. Yesterday was a bad day. The pain was stronger than normal, so the morning nurse gave me an extra dose of morphine along with all the other antibiotics and various meds they have me on. It helped to dull the pain, but with it, the rest of me was dull too. The whole day felt like I was being held under warm water, watching the bodies float past, never quite close enough to touch them. It took me a minute to understand what the nurse was saying when she said someone was there to see me, if it was okay with me, of course. All I could say was, Can't everyone see me? I mean, had I died and become a ghost? Did they need to ask my permission for me to appear? I mean, I said yes, of course, they, they could see me. And a minute later, I was looking at a hand holding a badge. Someone was telling me his name was Detective Andrews. And he wanted to ask some questions. I took a minute to sit up and drink some water, shake off the fog. I apologized to the young detective and told him he looked familiar. He was surprised, said he'd actually tried to speak with me a few days earlier, but I'd been too out of it to hold a conversation. You were beat up pretty bad, he said. Can you remember anything from the attack? So it was true. I was attacked. Well, that's what it appears. That's why I'm here. Do you have any reason to think otherwise? I told him I was pretty sure I was attacked, but I was having a hard time sorting out exactly what it was that had attacked me. He could tell I was holding out on him. I don't want to force you to relive a traumatic event, he said. But if you know something you're not telling me, I have to insist for the sake of the investigation. 
After a few moments, I got my laptop from the side table, opened the bookmark, and spun it to face him. You have to read the whole thing, I told him. He looked confused, but he agreed. A little while later, he closed the laptop and handed it back to me. You can't actually believe this. I'm not sure what I believed, I told him. But a few facts remained. One, I had been attacked by someone or something incredibly violent. And two, some of my memories coincided with the events in the story. He was skeptical, but he said he would look into it on the off chance that parts of the story were based on real events I had distorted. The brain has a funny way of taking creative licenses, he said. Before he left, I gave him all the details I could drum up and told him his best bet was tracking down some of those interns who had worked on the island. He told me that I was better off not sharing the story with anyone else including strangers on the internet, for the sake of the investigation. I assured him I had no interest in having people look at me like I was sick in the head, especially when I told them a murderous doctor and a girl with a ghost brother were trying to kill me. I told him that included strangers on the internet. Obviously, I was lying about that part. This morning, the phone by the side of my bed rang. It was Detective Andrews saying he'd found Dr. Christensen's name attached to the island, but that the university had cut ties with the doctor a number of months ago. He went on to say that the records of the interns who had worked on the body farm were sloppy at best. As of yet, he had had no luck tracking any of them down. But it got better. He also informed me that the police had found no evidence of foul play on the island, other than signs it had served as a body farm very recently, a fact on common record, and that any clue to the doctor's whereabouts led invariably to a dead end. A dead end. His words. Here's the final kicker, though. He asked me if I would go with him to the island... He wants me to show him around the place. Take him through the story, maybe even point out where they should be digging for clues. After saying no about nine or ten different ways, and him saying it was the best chance at finding who had hurt me, I agreed, but on two conditions. One, we would arrive on the island during the day and leave before it got dark. And two... We would have a full police escort the entire time we were there. The actual words I used were, a buttload of cops, but the meaning was all the same. The detective accepted my conditions. We leave in three days, the day I get out of this hospital. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Horror Hill for our performance of the first portion of author Brian Martinez's tale, The Body Farm. Join us again next week when we give you one final taste and the conclusion 
of tonight's featured story. Brian Martinez is the author of more than a dozen works in science fiction and horror genres, starting with his apocalyptic debut, A Chemical Fire. A deeply personal blend of loss, science, faith, and humor, A Chemical Fire established many common themes in Martinez's writing. As a participant in NaNoWriMo, he wrote the bizarre tale, Kissing You is Like Trying to Punch a Ghost before returning to the apocalypse with his serialized saga, The Mountain and the City. Intense yet poignant, The Mountain and the City has been praised by several horror writers, including D.J. Moles, author of The Remaining, who labeled it a future bestseller. Martinez has also penned three installments in his dark urban fantasy series, The Obscured as well as one Kindle World's title for Nicholas Sansbury Smith's Extinction Cycle. His current project, The Vessel, is an ongoing space horror serial, which has been compared to a mixture between Dead Space and the island of Dr. Moreau. Martinez studied film at Long Island University, where his short films played at the annual festivals. His works have appeared on screen and in print, and have been adapted to audio for YouTube, podcast, and audiobook listeners. He lives on Long Island, New York, with his wife Natalia and their pack of wild dogs. For more information, please visit his website at bloodstreamcity.com and sign up for his mailing list to receive free stories and news of future releases. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill. Additional performers have been featured when necessary to bring the tales to life. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Luke Hodgkinson under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's artwork and logo by Jason Hill. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure that you never miss an episode. And please... Leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Thursday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button too to tell us how we're doing. Oh, and if you could, please leave a kind word. 
or even a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, including more performance from yours truly, and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Thursday with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, this is Jason Hill. Good evening. Good evening.